I plan several messages over the next couple weeks. I want us to look at pastoral ministry and the nature of it. Now, those of you, you might automatically be thinking, okay, that means we're going to be looking at the qualifications of leaders. Our evaluation form that you just written form that you as members um, have filled out basically is all about that. It is form. I help formulate that, our district council. That looks specifically at the requirements for leadership that we find in Paul's pastoral epistles. So I'm not going to be looking specifically at that, but just to give you a brief outline of where we're going the next couple weeks. This morning, I want us to talk about the heart of ministry, the heart of pastoral ministry, and that is preaching. Next week, we're going to be looking at the spirit of pastoral ministry, and that is servant leadership. The following week, we're going to look at the scope of pastoral ministry, and that is shepherding. What does it mean to shepherd? The following week, we're going to look at the accountability of pastoral ministry. The congregation's responsibility and a ministry team's responsibility to hold one another accountable. And then on the 8th of October, we're going to be looking at the progression of pastoral ministry. Transition. How do we prepare for it? How do we go through transition? How do we call people to leadership? How do we equip them? How do we support them? How do we encourage them? Our overseer, Rick Goldman, is going to be here that Sunday. Uh, I've shared this series with him and asked him to uh, consider bringing the message that Sunday morning. I know Rick has a passion for developing leadership within the congregation. Um, he said he, he is thinking about that. Um, we've not had him as our overseer have a message for us, at least in my tenure as pastor, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that he, that will work out for him. But this morning, we want to look at preaching the heart of pastoral ministry. Open your Bible to 2 Timothy, perhaps the clearest picture we have of pastoral ministry, as God intended for the church, is found in Paul's pastoral epistles to Timothy and to Titus. So open your Bible to 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at some verses in chapter 3, but primarily chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. You know, the office of a minister uh, has nearly universal respect and honor. This week on the cruise, as Gerd and I, we didn't know anybody on this cruise, over 2,000 guests. But we met people. And of course, when you meet people, you soon find out what your background is in your family. And eventually it comes around to, well, what do you do? You're a pastor. Um, you know, there, there's, there seems to be kind of a universal honor and respect for that position. Ministers are expected to, to always be available to serve people at their time of greatest acknowledged need. You know, at, at times of birth, at times of baptism, at times of marriage, at times of health crisis, at times of death. And in the majority of those encounters with ministers, what people are looking for, expecting, is a goodwill ambassador. They're looking for an efficient for necessary proceedings. They're looking for a purveyor of, of hope and comfort. Rarely today are people expecting, let alone receptive, to a minister to preach. 
to announce the counsel of God, or as Billy Graham so famously says, the Bible says, to declare the counsel of God as it relates to people's personal life experience. And yet we find in these last recorded words that we have of the Apostle Paul, he writes in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find him urging Timothy, a young minister, to make preaching his highest priority, the single activity that is to govern all his other activities as a minister. Now, perhaps this morning, you're not convinced of the importance of preaching. Perhaps you see it as, yes, yeah, something is desirable, but I want to declare this morning that from Scripture, I find it arguably to be the most compelling, to be the centrality of pastoral ministry, according to the Apostle Paul. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes to Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This morning, in order to strengthen our conviction regarding the centrality of preaching to the role of the minister, I want to lead us in looking closely at Paul's charge to Timothy. Now, once again, may I remind all of us that when we seek to interpret Scripture, that is to determine what it meant when it was written, and to bring that truth across thousands of years to the present time, there are two axioms or rules we must remember. The first, we cannot make the Scripture say what it did not say when it was originally written. And the second is like unto it. We cannot make the Scripture not say what it said when it was originally written. So a key to the understanding Paul's emotional charge to Timothy is actually found in the two verses prior to the ones, or, or, or the chapter prior to the one that I read. In chapter 3, notice verse 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. Who is this man of God? Now, it's quite apparent that the message of the Word will have a profound impact on any believer, any follower of Christ. But yet, it's very clear that this man of God is specifically referring to Timothy. Or to those today who are called to the role of ministry. How do we know that to be true? 
Well, throughout chapter 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to be faithful to his calling in the face of human opposition. And at the end of a very lengthy exhortation, Paul instructs Timothy that God has given you the Scripture which can enable you to be faithful to that calling. How do the Scriptures empower the man of God? They make him competent. They make him complete in his understanding. They equip him according to his need for every work and responsibility, especially the work of preaching. Notice verse 17, perfect, that means complete, truly furnished, that means adequately supplied. And, and why did I say especially for preaching? Because verse 16 of chapter 3 specifically identifies doctrine, that's teaching, reproof, that's convincing, correction, and training in righteousness or right living. Those are all activities of preaching. The scriptures have the power to make a minister competent for every good work, especially the work of preaching. This means if a minister has the Word of God, and the Word of God has him, he can faithfully declare the counsel of God. Paul didn't call Timothy to go to Jerusalem and sit at the feet of Gamaliel like he did and learn the Word. Paul didn't tell Timothy to find training for public speaking nor to study the sermons of himself or James or the other apostles. While all of those can help equip a minister, it is not seminary training, it's not Bible school education, it's not personality, it's not gifting, it's not even years of experience that are the primary key to meeting the challenges of preaching. It is the power of the message of the Word of God that makes a minister effective. Because the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says, is alive. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the most powerful weapon in the world. And it is that weapon that makes the man of God effective. Primarily. When a preacher is handling the Word of God, he is handling the most powerful weapon in the world. And I share that not only for ministers, but for all of us as disciples, as followers. We all have a responsibility in how we live our lives as followers, how we interact with other people. We, have a we give testimony to the Word. Listen, a minister does not need a building with a steeple. A minister does not need a darkened sanctuary with spotlights highlighting his every move on a platform. A minister does not need a high-energy, high-volume worship band behind him. Nor does he even need a great personality to build the church. All he truly needs, all he must have, is the Word of God. And the Word of God must have him. Well, notice the seriousness of Paul's charge to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul is reminding Timothy of the omnipresence of God. He said, I'm charging you in the presence of God. And every minister that accepts that charge today, every person that accepts the charge to be part of a ministry team, accepts that charge in the presence of God. And it's a reminder to Timothy and to every minister that when we stand to preach, when we minister, we are doing it in the presence of God. I am preaching this morning in the presence of Jesus Christ. That can be intimidating. You all can sometimes be intimidating. But you're nothing compared when I realize that He is here this morning. And He is listening to how I am sharing His Word. You see, God... God is present when that charge is made. God is present when ministers minister. And that's a serious charge because Timothy reminds us, or Paul reminds Timothy, that Jesus Christ will return and judge the world. Verse 1, he will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Those who minister the Word of God today must also remember that. In fact, James 3.1 says that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Ministers must fear God more than they fear men, therefore. You see, preaching is difficult because preaching will be opposed. And sadly, there are so many ministers who have capitulated to the fear of man. Any minister today who unequivocally declares from a pulpit the inspiration of the whole Bible, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that He is the only way to the Father, the sanctity of all life, the permanence of marriage, abstinence from sexual relationships outside of marriage, the forbiddance of the practice of homosexuality, the creation and assignment of gender before birth by the Creator, the future judgment of God, the eternal damnation of the lost. Any minister who unequivocally declares that from a pulpit will face opposition. Any believer who gives testimony by their lives and interaction with people, that you believe that, will face opposition. But remember, when we are tempted to bypass, when we're tempted to alter, when we're tempted to sidestep or omit the truth of Scripture, we would do well to remember that Jesus is present when we're tempted to do that. You see, the approval of Jesus is the only approval that matters. The charge to preach is a serious and non-negotiable charge for a minister. But, Paul doesn't stop with verse 1. We can ask the question, well, what does it mean to preach? And Paul answers that. What does it mean to stand before men on God's behalf? I think it was Martin Luther who said that the pulpit is the throne of the Word of God. And so for a man to approach a 
pulpit with the Word, the throne of the Word of God, is, is an awesome place of responsibility. Why has it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.21. Why not masterful, skilled musicians? Why not articulate and vocally trained singing? Well, remember the context of this letter. We've all heard the last words of someone are significant, right? These are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul that we have. I don't know how long he lived after he penned these words, but these are the last recorded words of Scripture that we have of the Apostle Paul. Paul, we know, is nearing the end of his life. We see that in the latter part of chapter 4 that we won't take time to look at. He will likely, when he wrote these words, not anticipate ever seeing Timothy again. This is probably his last chance to address Timothy. So imagine if you were writing your last words to your son, or spiritual son, and you were in Paul's sandals, what would you say? Well, there are many things Paul could have charged Timothy in the presence of God and Christ Jesus to do. He could have said, Timothy, care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. And that is scriptural. That is biblical. He could have said, Timothy, provide for your own household. And that is a biblical command. He could have said, Timothy, cast vision for the churches that you pastor. And that is an important thing. Many things are useful for pastoral ministry for a congregation. And yet Paul focuses on the one central thing. Timothy is charged to preach. Now what does that mean? Well, the Greek word for preach is chorizo. And it's the most prominent Greek word for preaching that's used in the New Testament. Gordon Hugenberger, who knows more Greek than I, noted that a, a curix, the noun, what traveled throughout the kingdom and spoke on behalf and with the authority of a king. He was the herald. He, he spoke the words of the king. His authority was derived authority. He didn't have his own message. He had the message from the king. But people listened to what he said because it carried the authority of the king. And so it is when we preach the Bible. We preach the very counsel of God. And that action is accompanied by God's authority. You see, preachers are not merely inviting people to obey God's word. They're summoning people obey God's word. And such speaking carries the authority of God himself. So preaching is authoritative speech. You see, preaching is not simply sharing. It's declaring. We may use that term sometimes. But it's not merely sharing. It's declaring. The Apostle Paul was not stoned and beaten and whipped for sharing some devotional thoughts. You see, preaching is not a discussion. Preaching is not a dialogue. Preaching is not something that you argue about. 
preaching is something you declare. Biblical preaching forces people to take sides, which means that at its core, preaching is a polarizing activity. And if a minister is not reading the Bible to his audience, if a minister is not telling them what to do, what to believe, or what to change, he's not preaching. He's merely lecturing. And increasingly, our culture resists authority at every level. And there is nothing as authoritative as preaching. Why? Because preaching channels the very authority of God. Never forget this. Timothy is charged to preach the word. He didn't have the freedom to preach whatever he wanted to. Paul urged him to preach the word. And the word was a clear reference to the inspired text of the Bible. Specifically at this time, the Old Testament. Which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 16. Timothy and every minister that accepts that charge must devote themselves to preaching the word. The message of the scripture must reign supreme in every message. We must not preach psychology. We must not preach self-help. We must not preach politics. We must not preach our opinions. We must not preach our pet peeves. We must not even preach our church tradition. We must preach the word. And that requires us to rightly divide or interpret the word. And that is hard work. That requires effort and diligence. Notice Timothy is charged to preach the word with application. Let me read chapter four, uh, verse 2 from the Amplified Version. Preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome, correct those who err in doctrine or behavior, warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing toward spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. That makes me exhausted. That is so encompassing when I think of standing before you to bring a message. But may I remind you this morning that that word gives insight for all believers and followers of Christ. We are all called to declare the word of God, what it says by our lives as well as through our interactions with those who are lost. Now, there are three specific approaches or methods that are mentioned. The first is to reprove or convince. That's to reason, to explain. Perhaps uh, you're familiar with Josh McDowell's work, his book's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There is logic, there is reason, there is understanding of who God is and who man is in his need of a Savior and God's provision. We need to be able to convince, speak convincingly of that. 
Another approach is rebuke. That's appealing to the reality of sin in people's lives and their need of a Savior. And we need to be able to exhort. That means to encourage, to help people set aside fears. I can't do this. I'm just going to fail. I failed again. I made a mess. God won't want me anymore. He won't receive me anymore. To help people embrace forgiveness and grow in faith. You see, no disciple can have a greater calling than one who is called to embrace the task to preach. He is called to make sure those who have chosen to listen to his preaching know the will and counsel of God. For the minister realizes that everyone in his audience one day will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be no second chance. And so it is his responsibility to make sure that they have heard the counsel of God. Well, those last three imperatives, reprove or correct, rebuke or warn, exhort or encourage, further describe the task of preaching. Paul is clearly telling Timothy that preaching is, is more than just explaining theological concepts and retelling Bible stories. In the absence of correcting, warning, encouraging, a minister, again I say, is no longer preaching. He's merely lecturing. But notice, preachers must correct, warn, and encourage with all patience and long-suffering. Why? Because we not only speak with the authority of God, but we are to speak and express the patience and long-suffering of God as well. Well, we've examined Paul's charge to Timothy at some length. Let me ask the question, why did Paul charge Timothy with that responsibility? Why are ministers today charged with that responsibility? Today, more than ever before, church attenders are abandoning congregations with sound doctrine for ones with a more progressive accommodation of the culture and a prosperity gospel. Why? Well, Paul addresses that here in verse 3. Because people have itching ears. They have a greater appetite for comfort, for convenience, and preaching that allows them to follow their own passions and desires than they have for the truth of God's Word. Itching ears, wanting their ears tickled with something pleasing, means that they will be tempted to latch on to the latest counterfeit for truth. Some time ago, I don't know if you're familiar with Bethany Christian Services. It's the largest evangelical organization dealing with foster care and adoption in our country. In 2007, that ministry had a written statement that they would not promote, would not provide children for foster care or adoption to couples who were in a homosexual relationship. In 2019, under government pressure, Some states, some offices of that conceded 
that they would provide children in foster care to homosexual or lesbian couples because the government threatened to close them down if they didn't. And the argument was that it would be better for them to, children to be in a foster care situation like that than to be in an adopted or more permanent relationship. Well, in 2021, the entire organization, in March of 2021, 1,500 staff represented, issued a statement that no longer will the relationship of the parents-to-be be a factor at all. That now that organization places children in foster care and for adoption with gay and lesbian couples. What happened? Well, what that organization did before, in, before they issued that final de decision in 2021, and again, that was not with any government pressure, but they asked the Barnack organization to conduct a poll of Christians in North America. I don't know who was asked. I was not asked. But of the survey of professing Christians, 70% said that if it means the organization's ministry would be closed down, then they should relax that restriction. 70% said it would be better to go ahead and accept gay and lesbian couples as prospective foster parents and adoption parents, then let the organization close. 55% said it would be better to place children in foster care in homes like that than adoption homes like that. So based on that survey result, they decided to relax that position. You see what happened? They went to a Barna group to consult society, to consult the people, rather than going to the Word to find the truth. They were more concerned about success and longevity than they were concerned about faithfulness. Listen, brothers and sisters, God does not call us to success. God calls us to faithfulness. It's God's responsibility whether the organization continues on or not. That's His department. But when we make the decision to compromise His Word, we have erred. That's just one example that came to me this week. You see, sound preaching can provide protection for us as a congregation, for any congregation, from spiritual destruction. But that requires faithful ministers who will both proclaim the truth and denounce error. And ministers most must do both. To only say nice things and never critique false doctrine, philosophy, and sinful practice 
places our audience vulnerable to false teaching. Well, let me finish with looking at one other question he addresses in chapter 5, verse 5. What will it cost? What's it going to require of Timothy if he accepts this charge? What does it require of a minister today? Well, first of all, it requires a lot of work. Back in chapter 2, verse 15, we find these words. Paul says to Timothy, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Those that attempt the charge of preaching find it to be a hard and never-ending task. Notice the imperatives in verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, watch. Be sober-minded. You can't be lax of days ago. You can't let your guard down. Endure afflictions and sufferings. You know, enduring is different than avoiding. And anyone who's been in leadership knows how tempting it is to avoid suffering instead of endure it. When there is a problem, when there is conflict, when there is opposition, avoid it. You don't have to say that. You don't have to deal with that. Look the other way. No, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. See people the way God sees them. See them in their need of a Savior. Fulfill the responsibilities of your calling. You see, ministers have a bullseye on their back in spiritual conflict. Watchfulness and accountability are crucial. And no minister should attempt to assume this call without a fellow minister companion. The scriptural model always portrays, always in the New Testament church, always portrays elders, plural. The apostles Jesus sent out, how? One by one? No. Two by two. There always was an and. Peter and John. Look at any of the listing of the disciples. You always find and, 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 and. Always that way. Now furthermore, Paul reminds Timothy that suffering and opposition are part of his calling. Ministers of the gospel must always remember that they follow a crucified Messiah who promised that because he was opposed, they would be opposed as well. Well, preaching was to be a central component of Timothy's ministry, and maybe you're still not convinced that preaching is that important in the ministry of a congregation. But everywhere you turn in the pastoral epistles, Paul charged Timothy and Titus to preach the word. Now, certainly pastoral ministry in every congregation is comprised of many things besides preaching. There are other responsibilities that are critical. And not all members of a pastoral ministry team are called to devote themselves to preaching to the same degree. Yet at least one member of the pastoral ministry for a congregation 
needs to be devoted to preaching. It's imperative. Well, there's a price to pay for answering the call to minister. And as I wrap this up this morning, I think it's important to occasionally to remind those who are serving, who are called to serve, as well as to remind those who call the congregation what that cost is. There's a financial cost. Now, I know there are some mega churches in America, and you perhaps have heard of some of those, and often there has been moral failure where there's been tremendous financial reward for those at the head of those organizations. But that's the exception. Those that faithfully minister do it at a financial sacrifice. There's an emotional cost. You are called to bear the burden of people's crises, their health issues, the destructive sinful choices that they make, and the consequences of those that follow them. And as a minister, you can go from massive emotional highs to massive emotional lows, sometimes in the same day. There's a physical cost. It takes blood, sweat, and tears to be a minister. There's stress. There's endless study. There are meetings. Never being off duty. Long hours. Constant pressure. Deadlines. Sometimes it makes sleep difficult and rest almost impossible. And perhaps most of all, there's spiritual cost. You see, the more influential a minister becomes, the greater the intensity of spiritual attack of the enemy. There's more criticism. There's more misunderstanding. There's more slander. There's more opposition. And yet, God has chosen for people to be saved through the ministry of preaching. God has chosen for men to lead his congregation. So this morning, as we embark on these next couple weeks of once again formulating our pastoral team here at Faith, I hope we do so with an awareness and a conviction of what the scripture outlines and what we're calling people to. And for those that are called, the call that they are answering and the great responsibility. God bless you.